Warning, the following podcast may contain potential plot spoilers, but then again, it may not at all. Hello and welcome to Potential Spoilers. I'm Kieran and I'm joined by Maddie D. Kieran. Yes? It's actually a vampire bar. Jesus Christ. Yes, and even the waitress with the feet, she's a vampire too. If you didn't want to know that, Kieran, well, you shouldn't be listening to the show because that is a spoiler. It certainly is a spoiler and it's very, very appropriate for this episode. It is. Do you like that? Yes. I did that for you. Yes, without saying too much. Yes, it's very appropriate. So if you're a fan of Quentin Tarantino, which happens to be the director of the movie that we're talking about in this episode, mm-hmm. you will probably get that reference. You'll probably be quite chuffed. Yes. You're like, I'm smart, I know that movie. And if you don't, well, there's a new little passage for you. <laughs> a new little item to add to your watch later yes. list, even though it's been spoiled for you. Well, I didn't say what movie, so... It'll never be the same, now knowing that secret, so... Thanks, Maddie D. That's all right. That's what I do. Anyway. I uh, give experiences to people. Maddie D, why don't you tell us about the concept of the show? <laughs> well, Kieran, in this show, Potential Spoilers, we try to guess the plot of upcoming movies that we have not yet seen and have not been released based solely on the trailer and any promotional material we can get our hands on. Yes. And then we go see those movies and see how close or how far we were from yes. what was displayed on this big screen. We're yet to explore one of the films that we've seen. We've dropped a few little hints along the way about what we've seen and about how accurate we've been, but we haven't really done an in-depth discussion. We've put it out there. If you want us to go into in-depth discussions, maybe as bonus episodes along the way, if there's enough demand for it, we'll do it. But at this stage, we have no real plans to do it. We've got a very full schedule, at least for the time being. And we've got a few new concepts to introduce as well, but we'll get into that more at the end of the episode. I'm very excited to start talking about that stuff. But first, this week we're talking about the ninth film in Quentin Tarantino's directorial oeuvre once upon a time in Hollywood. Yes. Now, before we start talking Tarantino, which I must say I'm very excited to be doing, Avengers Endgame opens on the day of this recording. Right now, people are watching Avengers Endgame. By the time that this episode comes out, Avengers Endgame will be out. It would have been out for a couple of days. Any diehard fans would have already seen it. But one of the first episodes we covered, one of the first movies we covered rather, was Avengers Endgame. So you will be able to see how Matty D and I went. Yes. It's probably the biggest movie event of the year and probably our biggest episode too. Yes, and instead of sitting down watching Avengers Endgame, I'm with you, Kieran. That's right. Matty D had to cancel his <laughs> Avengers Endgame viewing my, session. All my Avengers Endgame plans that I was going to see with Robert Downey Jr. were going to go to yeah. a screening. You were going to the red carpet screening, weren't you? Of course. You? How do you think I get all these exclusive leaks for my predictions? I thought you just cheated. <laughs> that too. Now, in the past, we've talked about a fair chunk of movies across a broad range of comic books. <laughs> Superheroes. Superheroes. Now, out of all the movies that we've covered so far in this podcast, there's none that I've really been excited for. I mean, I thought Us looked good. I mean, at least the trailer looked good, but I wasn't jumping up and down, gnawing at the bit to see it. Now, I've got to say, I have always been, well, for at least half my life, a little bit more than half my life, a massive Quentin Tarantino fan. So this is the very first episode of this podcast where I'm actually excited to be talking about a movie coming out. Yeah, you've written pages of notes. I have. Matty D saw me typing furiously as he came into the studio mm. just pages and pages of notes because I just wanted to fit every single thought that I had because I've been thinking about this movie not just for this episode but personally for months so I've got all these ideas of what I think will be in the movie or what I want to be in the movie so I wanted to convey first of all what I thought would be a realistic plot prediction but at the same time insert everything that I really want to see in the movie so you're putting the movie that you want to see as well absolutely <laughs> absolutely now we should jump straight into histories yeah what is your history Matty D with the Quentin Tarantino 
universe. Well, me, I first heard of Quentin Tarantino in Kill Bill. I had an acting teacher that once said that <laughs> Quentin Tarantino was the death of modern cinema. Cause he really? Every, yep, because everything uh, was made violent. And I was like, I got to see this guy. And the first movie I watched was Pulp Fiction. Like many oh, butting okay. young adolescents, I... Budding, I think the term is. Budding. budding. <laughs> you can be butting if you like. <laughs> Like many young adolescents, I watched, I saw the iconic image, picked it up from an Front old... cover with Uma Thurman exactly. lying across the bed like a pulp fiction novel of the <laughs> 60s, 70s. Mm. Pulp magazine even. Yeah. I picked it up uh, at a DVD bin. Not a DVD <laughs> bin, but I... <laughs> you found it in a dumpster out the back. <laughs> I watched it. I loved it. And then started watching other Quentin Tarantino movies, usually with you, Kieran, let's be honest. Yes. The last few Quentin Tarantino movies we've watched together yeah. on our little movie date nights, we saw Django together. We saw what was the recent one? The Western Bastards. No, we didn't see Inglourious. No, we Bastards. didn't. Um, hateful Eight. We saw the Hateful Eight. We'll probably see this one as well. Yeah, most likely. But yeah, I think uh, we kind of have to. Yeah, uh, we watched From Dust Till Dawn. We saw From Dust Till Dawn together. Not in the cinemas. No, just I was about seven when that came out. Just, because. Uh, just not technically a Tarantino film, but he did write it. Mm. So yeah, that's my history. I've I've always enjoyed it. Are you excited for this movie? Yeah, I I'm really excited because it seems like every movie he makes, it gets a little bit better. Gets a little bit more fun in a like higher budget. The cast for this looks fantastic. And I like the era that they're shooting in. I like the yes. golden age of Hollywood. And I know Quentin Tarantino is a huge movie buff. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what he creates for something that he has a lot of love and nostalgia for. So And I share that as well. So I'm, I'm really pumped. And it's different. It's something that's different that we're yes. not really seeing much of. Like in this whole big... It's not Quentin Tarantino doing Star Wars or Star Trek yeah, like he this, was planning to do. In this field... Or a superhero movie. So. In this field of reboots and remakes and superhero movies and really interesting albeit odd sort of side projects like us there's just a something different out there which I'm really looking forward to well in all fairness if we're going to play both sides of the court here all Tarantino's films are usually inspired by other films or other genres other directors so he while he typically puts his own style and spin on things. He usually has direct references or even adaptations of pre-existing material. So to say that his films are entirely original would be a misstep, but personally, I feel like he creates better versions, essentially, of pre-existing genres and styles. Fair point, but I guess it's a it's something different to what we're seeing at the moment, I guess, is what mm. I'm trying to say. Just to speak on a personal note, I remember you weren't a particular fan of the last film, Hateful Eight. No, not really. You didn't really go into that in your history. No, it was okay, but I preferred Django every other film. every other film. Yeah, I watched it with you, Kieran, and I think you remember my reaction yes. to it. I was like, this is quite long, it was quite lengthy... It wasn't as good as I was expecting it to be. And it was a bottle movie too. It was in one location. Yeah. Some people would argue that Reservoir Dogs is in one location, but that actually does take place over multiple locations through flashbacks and And that had a bit of various bit of, locations. A little bit of a bigger pace to it. Yes. I felt like it was a very short movie. I feel like the movie dragged and the payoff was this not is Hateful worth Eight, right? It. Yes, Hateful Eight. Yes. I do love Reservoir Dogs. But yeah, I'm talking about Hateful Eight. Yeah, so the payoff was not I did not like it and it dragged for me. Yes. That's just me. I understand it was a, a it's a tonal movie, but I thought it was a little bit, yeah, just not my, I, I liked other movies he did better. It wasn't bad, but yes. it just, I had really high hopes for it. I was like, oh my God, it's Tarantino doing a Western, unrestricted Western. Yes. He's going to knock it out and of the park. after Django Unchained, this is we were excited be, to see where he would yeah, go Yeah, this is going to be like Good, the Bad and the Ugly. This is going to be like a real hardcore spaghetti Western or like something really exciting and it just wasn't the movie I thought it yeah, was going to be. Right. I think we'll get into a lot of what your impressions of a Tarantino movie are compared to what is delivered 
it at the end of the day. I think that's very important to discuss in an episode where we try and predict the plot of one that we haven't seen yet. But to jump straight into my history with Tarantino, as I said, I've spent more than half my life. I probably saw my first Tarantino film about 12 or 13. What was your first one? It was Kill Bill Volume 2 of all movies. Because it had just come out and so many people were raving about Kill Bill when it came out. So I was like, well, I've got to see it. So I didn't realise that Kill Bill Volume 2 would be a part two, almost stupidly on my behalf. So to this day, I've never really been a big Kill Bill fan. So at the time, I didn't really see the hype around it or what the big deal was. But yeah, then quite like you, Matty D, the first Tarantino movie I watched beyond that was Pulp Fiction and became an instant fan and immediately followed up with Reservoir Dogs and then essentially the full oeuvre. And the first Tarantino movie that was released in cinemas when I was a big fan of his was actually Death Proof. Oh, really? I was really excited for Death Proof. Now, here's the thing with Tarantino with me. I get really excited for one of his movies to come out. I'm like, yes, I cannot wait for Death Proof. I'll go and see it. I'll go, oh, that was disappointing. And then I'll go, oh, I think I might skip the next one. Now, after Death Proof, the next movie he did was Inglorious Bastards. Which was great. And I saw the trailer for that. I'm like, that looks terrible. That looks stupid. I don't want to go see a comedy movie with Nazis in it. (laughs) And I skipped it. And then, of course, it turned out to be a really great movie. One of my favorite movies. And then again with Django Unchained, I was like, oh, it doesn't really look like something I want to see. I might skip it. Ended up seeing it anyway, and it was much better than I thought it was going to be. Then the next one I was really excited for, Hateful Eight. Let's go see it. First opening day, Matty D. I'm really excited for this one. Quite like you, I was disappointed. But at the end of the day, the worst Tarantino film for me is better than the best Fast and Furious film. The best. Oh, knocking on Fast and Furious already. (laughs) In my opinion. In my opinion. I'd rather sit down and watch Death Proof than one of the Twilight movies, essentially. So you're excited about this movie. Is this a bad omen? Yeah, that's my problem with it. I am excited for it. I really want to see it. Given my track record, that (laughs) typically means that I'm going to be disappointed. So I'm going to blame you if I don't like this movie. Because we're predicting the plot, because we're putting a lot of thought and research into it, I suppose, now we've got another element to be excited about when we go and see the movie. We want to see if we're dead on with our predictions. So Mm. there's an element of that as well. So even with movies like Hellboy, which we've covered in the past, I was excited to go and see it. Mind you, folks, I still haven't seen it. I've read those reviews. (laughs) But I want to see it specifically just to see what we got right. Yes. It makes me excited about movies that I typically wouldn't want to see, this podcast, that is. Yeah, that was my history with Tarantino. And that, I guess, was my history with the podcast, too. I don't know why I went into that, but I think it's important. (laughs) It's all intertwined. Anyway, what do we know about this movie so far? So we have one trailer, right? That's That's all I could find. That's right. One trailer. So Quentin came out. He. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> he announced his intentions for this movie. All he really said about it was it was going to be an homage to the golden age of cinema, mm. the hippie movement, the hippie revolution, yes. as he says. Cultural it's revolution. Have cultural revolution. The hippie cultural revolution. I think this is something cast. like a time period and a period in cinema and America, a location mm-hmm. and time in America that I think that Tarantino is personally very excited about. Yeah. So I think this movie is a very long time coming and I think mm. there's a lot that he wants to explore in it, which I think is why. Well, I'm personally excited about it because quite like you, Matty D, I share the sentiment in it's an interesting period, it's an interesting place in the world and with some of the themes that they're going to explore and some of the real life mm. stories that they're going to explore, it was an interesting real life scenario as well in a way. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting characters, real life characters I mean in this movie, like you've got Sharon Tate, Charles yeah, Manson, um, Manson even family. Bruce Lee is in this movie. Yes, yeah, we'll get into them. Yeah, he's been very mysterious about this movie, he hasn't given a lot of his cards out, no. he announced it, I believe a, a 
convention or something like that. And the one trailer that gives, in my opinion, absolutely nothing. No, it's just a collection of funny moments, as typically he does with most of his trailers. Yeah, so what we know about it, there's even a, and I feel like you're with me, there's an element of this story that seems like it might be a big player in it that doesn't get explored in anything. So I'm interested if it'll be the same with you. We see specific characters or people, real life figures, pop up throughout the trailer, Mm -hmm. which would lead you to believe that they're going to explore a certain real life Mm. event, Mm. situation. How can we dance Mm. around it even more? But it's not entirely clear if they're going to go down that track. I suppose you and I will explore our opinions on that as we talk about our plots. But yes. Now, we've already mentioned Sharon Tate and Charles Manson. So he does appear in the trailer for one shot. He has like a grin to the camera while standing outside what looks like an RV or something like that. I didn't see that. But yeah, it's a brief blink or you'll miss it shot. Right. But I think personally, without going too much into my plot already, but I think this is a really interesting decision on Quentin Tarantino's behalf. So if you've been living in a cupboard and you don't know anything about Sharon Tate and the Manson family murders. Which was pretty much me before this podcast. Really? Uh, I knew very little. Okay. I'd read about it in the past, so I guess that helped me a fair bit. But at this time in the world, in this day and age, it's very interesting to make a movie or what we presume a movie will be about a brutal murder Mm -hmm. of a pregnant woman. Potentially, this is what we'll see in the movie, but like a really brutal murder. And knowing Tarantino, it's going to be brutal. It's going to be violent. It's interesting in this day and age to have that as a focal point in a movie in the, I suppose, the Me Too time, a time in increased interest in feminism and women's rights. Also, Manson's not that long passed away as well. So it's very fresh because he resurfaced in, I guess, media and popular culture. He keeps popping up over the years. Mm. Every time he goes for a parole, you know, he pops up again because everyone thinks, oh, geez, he could be walking the streets again. Not anymore. He did serve his life sentence. mm. And the other thing that I keep going back to is they're not selling this in the trailers. So the only way you'll really know if this is going to happen, well, that this is going to happen or this did happen historically is if you either do research into it before going to the cinemas but the average film goer is going to see the trailer for this and go it's going to be a, a wacky movie about Hollywood in the 60s well he's cast he's in he's credited so there's and a the Charles entire Manson. Manson family are credited as yeah. well so they're going to be in it but if the I suppose the hinging point the focal point of the movie is going to be these brutal murders I think people are going to go in blind they're going to think oh we're going to have a light-hearted movie about swinging 60s so people are going to ted this up go in there thinking it's one thing and then be surprised yes I absolutely guarantee that's going to be the case and people are going to be shocked but I think I'm going to be ready for it this time because this is something we didn't mention before with our histories but every single Tarantino movie for me in the past has had a moment or a scene in it that's really shocking Mm -hmm. at least to me personally anyway I don't know if I can speak for everybody on the planet but yeah I think every Tarantino movie has a defining moment that is really shocking whether it's the ear being cut off in Reservoir Dogs or the putting the the adrenaline needle into Mia Wallace's chest in Pulp Fiction or the gimp scene the rape scene in Pulp Fiction Django Unchained I think was Ugh. one traumatic experience from start to you finish the Mandingo fights the Mandingo fight the guy who gets ripped apart by the dogs yeah we don't really need to go into all these no. <laughs> brutal things well this is potential spoilers but yes I never expect it I don't know why but every time I go and see a movie I'm not expecting to see something that really shocks me but I always do so I'm not expecting anything different from this movie I suppose I'll talk about specifically what I think that moment will be but I think it's pretty clear from what we've discussed already what that is so 
Matty D, before we started the show, you actually expressed interest in going first. Yes, Kieran, I would like to go first. I know we take turns and I know it's your turn to go first, but I feel like you've got a lot of skin in the game and you've really fleshed out a lot for me. I'm not too confident with it, so... I want to go in. It's like tearing off a band-aid for I want to go in. I want to get my stuff done and I want to get out. You want to sit back and enjoy my in-depth prediction. Okay. Without stressing about yours. We'll get the unpleasantries over. (laughs) I'm actually really excited to hear your plot prediction in comparison to mine. I'm very excited. Now, but before we start talking plots, let's talk about who's in the movie. Oh, yes. Let's do that. (laughs) We're not going to be able to talk about every single credited actor in this movie because there's something like 90. So, last night I was doing my research for this podcast. I was thinking about it. I was up stressing about it and I sent Kieran a message just being like, there are too many actors here in this movie. But I don't quite agree with that sentiment of Matty D's though, because Mm -hmm. while there are a lot of credited actors in the movie, there's typically in, especially in Tarantino's later movies, there's a lot of cameos, there's a lot of ensemble groups in his movies. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to have, you know, 10 minutes of screen time like in a Marvel movie. Mm. So I would argue that a Marvel movie has more characters to stress about, especially Avengers Endgame, say, than something like this. I think this movie will have some key players, some key characters. So I think when we talk about the actors in the movie, that's all we really need to focus on. There's no point talking about, you know, where Tim Roth is going to pop up, where Michael Madsen is going to pop up, even though I did. But Kurt Russell. Yes, exactly. There was someone else Tarantino in Tarantino himself. Yeah, well, we know he's going to be in it. Samuel L. Jackson isn't credited, but I suspect that he is going to be in it in some level. Of course. But anyway, the first actor I want to talk about, of course, is our leading man himself, Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. He is playing the actor Rick Dalton, based on Burt Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we know Leonardo DiCaprio most famously from his role in Critters 3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, of course. He also got... played, did something about a boat ride. Yeah, and... Titanic, Inception. Again, he's one of those actors where if you've seen a movie, pretty much you've seen Leonardo DiCaprio. Now, I'm personally Caritas a big... Critters 3. Yeah, I'm personally a big fan of DiCaprio's. Yes. He was someone who I never liked as a kid. And as a teenager, I'm like, oh, he's always in those sappy movies. He always wants to be killed off and get the glory. He's just a pretty boy who all the girls pay attention to and never pay attention to me. <laughs> I think it was around, when was it? It would have been around Inception. It would have been around, what was that other movie he did around the Shutter same time? Island. Yeah. Where he... Uh, we did Gatsby. Yeah. Well, that's not a good example on my behalf, but he did do that. But yeah, Shutter Island. Did that Aviator one, The Aviator, right? yeah. That was pre my affection for okay. DiCaprio. But yeah, especially Django Unchained, where yes. he played a compelling villain. So DiCaprio is someone who can really play a really good villain and a really good hero. He can be the romantic lead. He can be the creep. And so, yeah, like Jake Gyllenhaal in the past, he's someone who I really changed opinion on over the years. So he's not just a pretty boy in the movie. He is actually one of our golden child actors. Mm. Golden star for him. And then, of course, another actor who we can paint with the same brush. Yes, very is true. Is quite possibly Brad Pitt. who is Quite play- possibly. <laughs> yes, definitely Brad Pitt, okay. who is playing the stuntman Cliff Booth. He's Rick Dalton's personal stuntman or lifelong stuntman, I suppose. Mm. I like to imagine there are two kids in the playground and he'd step in to fight the bullies when, <laughs> when Rick Dalton upset them or whatever. Anyway, and he's based on Hal Needham, who was Burt Reynolds' stuntman on his TV show, I didn't write down what the name of that was. Me neither. Now, we all probably know Brad Pitt most famously from the low-budget horror movie Cutting Class. Yes, of course. Probably most people listening yes. don't know who he is. No. Brad Pitt is another one, just like Leonardo DiCaprio, where I, growing up, I always thought he was the pretty boy, wasn't worth my time. But then, again, I think it was even Tarantino in Inglorious Bastards who completely changed my opinion of him. Not Fight Club. Wasn't there a movie where he was killed th- by a falling bullet? Not Three Monkeys. I can't remember what that was. 
Was it Three Wise Monkeys? Three Monkeys? Three Monkeys, yeah, yeah. He was good in that. Twelve Monkeys, you're thinking. Twelve Monkeys, that's it. But like I said, uh, I've completely changed my opinion on him over the years. And I think it's great to see him and DiCaprio working together. It's exciting. So they're two, I suppose, leading actors who have never really worked together, to my knowledge. But yeah, I think they're two actors who I always associate with each other, but who I don't think have ever worked together. So I'm very excited to see that. Moving on, we've got Margot Robbie. Of course. Margot Robbie. Neighbours, right? <laughs> she was in Neighbours, wasn't she? Yeah. Well done, Maddie D. You're doing my joke to me. <laughs> uh, she's playing Sharon Tate, who I think she looks fantastic as Sharon Tate. She mm. looks like a completely different person to me in yeah. the previews anyway. And this is an actress who's uh, exploding right now. Absolutely. She's been all over Hollywood in the last mm. couple of years. Now, again. She's killing it. I feel like a broken record here, but when she first came on the scene, I wasn't impressed. I thought she had the most grating American accent in... American Hustle? Wolf of Wall Street. Oh. No, she wasn't in American Hustle. No, she wasn't. You're thinking of Jennifer Lawrence. Moving on. And, of course, she played Harley Quinn in... And you were a big Harley Quinn uh, fan, right? Like, you dressed as Harley Quinn. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm wearing the booty shorts right now. (laughs) Yeah. No, I didn't like her. She did the same grating accent as Harley Quinn. And I'm going, who is this Margot Robbie woman and why is everyone going nuts for her? But then I reluctantly saw her in I, Tonya. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen I, Tonya, Maddie D, I strongly recommend it. I haven't. You know I haven't. But it is literally, at the moment, one of my favourite movies of all time. She did a fantastic job in that. She didn't have a grating American accent. Yeah. And she was fantastic. And ever since then, everything I've seen her in, I've really liked her in. So, completely turned around 360 on her as well. Very excited to see her in this movie. Maddie D, you're not having many thoughts on these actors. Oh, I agree with your sentiments there. I like Margot Robbie. I think she'll be good in this movie. Now, I know this actor, you have very strong thoughts and feelings about. I don't think he's going to play a huge role in the movie, or at least in my plot summary, he's not playing a huge role, mm. but we've got Al Pacino. Yeah! First time talking Al Pacino on this show, playing the producer Marvin Schwartz. Oh, you can just see where he's going to go with this. Absolutely. And I'm excited. Interesting to get a little Italian man to play a Jewish man, but I suppose it makes sense. But anyway, Al Pacino, what can we say? Probably best known for... Snorting cocaine. Yes, in Scarface. But are we actually naming a movie that people have heard of? Okay, he played in Scarecrow. Yeah, that's a good movie though. That is a good movie. (laughs) That's a good movie. He played in Dick Tracy. Yeah, he played... Big Big Daddy. Oh, Big Boy, was it? (laughs) Big Boy and Dick Tracy. But yes, The Godfather, Scarface... The list goes on and on. Jack and Jill. Yes. Oh, I should have started with that one. <laughs> anyway, I know that you and I are longtime fans of Al Pacino. Uh, who isn't? Happy to see him back again in a role that isn't Jack and Jill. He'll hit it out of the park. Him and Quentin working together is like, pretty exciting. Absolutely. I think this is his first Tarantino movie. Is it? Yeah. What an interesting So he's thing. worked with De Niro, but he hasn't worked with Pacino. So this is his first Pacino. But I don't think it's going to be the same Pacino that we'd expect. He might be yelling. He might be mad. But he's not going to be a lead character, in my opinion. Mm. Now, the next actor I want to talk about is Emil Hirsch. Mm. Are you familiar with Emil Hirsch at all? No. He's playing Jay Sebring in the movie. Oh. Okay. <laughs> you don't Jay's... know who that is? Um, he he believe... plays a big role in my plot. So he... uh... I read this guy, right? He was, uh, was he one of the murdered victims? Yeah, he is murdered um, by the Manson he, family. He is the friend of um, Sharon Tate, right? That's he's right. a fashion consultant. He's a hairdresser. And yeah, he's a hairdresser yeah. and yeah, he's just a friend of his. Yeah. I'd... Let's talk Emil Hirsch though. Okay. So Emil Hirsch, you may know him from Into the Wild. He mm-hmm. played the lead character in that. He was also the lead character in The Mudge Boy, if you know that movie. Nope. It's actually a pretty decent movie, I'd suggest it. And okay. Speed Racer. Oh. I couldn't, sp- <laughs> couldn't talk about Hirsch without talking about Speed Racer. So this looks like three movies that you've never seen, Matty D. Yep, you're correct. With the exception is of Speed. Is that live action Speed Racer? Yeah, yeah, it is. Was he the main Speed Racer? Yeah, he was Speed Racer in Speed Racer. Oh. But yeah, the Mudge Boy, he played a 
kid who's picked on by a bully who ends up having a gay relationship with, and okay. he has a chicken as a pet, which he ends up biting the head off at the end. My In a God. very shocking scene. Spoilers for Mudge Boy. And it's potentially. And no, it does spoil the whole movie if you know that. <laughs> God damn it. I'm and Into the Wild, not really he interested. runs away from home and in a kayak, basically. Wait, so he's the little boy in Into the Wild? I suppose you could say he's a little boy, but he is an adult. Oh, is he? Yes. Oh, wait. Are you thinking of where the wild things are? Yeah, I am thinking Typical of that. Typical Maddie D. <laughs> Yeah, Into the Wild is a true story about oh, a guy. Oh, it's about the guy who goes out in the wilderness yeah, to quote-unquote right. find himself. Yeah, that's and right. And it's a, it's a deeply moving, inspirational movie, yeah. right? Yeah, he gets sick and dies in the end. Spoilers for that movie. Just ruin everything for us, Kieran. <laughs> so that's three movies I'm not watching. <laughs> They're good movies, though, with the exception of Speed Racer. Okay. Next, I want to mention Damon Harriman, who's mm. playing Charles Manson. Now, he mm-hmm. is an Australian actor who is known for playing Charles Manson yes. in Mindhunter. Yes, he's playing the same character. That's. Yes. I wonder if he'll do the same thing or... He's got it, right? He's just going to... Expand upon it. Yeah, would you though? Because I mean, it's going to be different tonally, right? Well, surely Tarantino saw Mindhunter and went, do the same thing. That's what I want. So that's all I really wanted to say about Damon. Maybe just see another Australian aside from Margot Robbie in the movie. Mm -hmm. Next, I want to talk about Bruce Dern. Father of Laura Dern. Now, you may know him from Django Unchained for like a couple of seconds shot where he was playing... Who was he? He was Old Man Carruthers, I think. Is he the guy with the Bible pages? No. They used to work for him, the three Brittle brothers. They used to work for Old Man Carruthers. He was the one who burnt the runaway R on their cheeks in Ah. Django Unchained. But he's only in one shot. He just says, you know, burn a runaway R on her cheek. Uh, and then he played a bigger role in Hateful Eight, where he was the Civil War the old dude? Confederate general, I think he was. Yeah, the old dude, right? With, yeah, with right. the son. Yes, yes. And we won't go into what happens no, to his son. No, we will not. But yes, so he was also in a movie called Nebraska, which came out around the same time as Django Unchained, I remember, because I saw him on the post and went, hang on, that's the guy who was in one scene of Django Unchained. But yes, he is Laura Dern's father. I think that is probably his biggest claim to fame at the moment. No, he's actually a brilliant actor, but yes, mm. most people will know Laura Laura Dern, more than Bruce Dern. He runs the ranch, right? That's his... That's right. He's playing George. I don't know quite how to say his last name, but I'm going to say Spahn. I think it's George Spahn. Does that sound right to you? <laughs> to me, he plays... What? Who was the guy's name that the replicants hide out at? The oh, old dude. Oh, J.F. Sebastian. Yeah, to me, it's J.F. Sebastian. From Blade Runner. It's almost the same... Uh, okay relationship there. Yeah, I'm kind of imagining that as well, but in a more perverted way. Mm. We'll talk about it as we go on. And the last person I want to mention, I wasn't going to mention him, but I think the last person we need to mention is an actor called Austin Butler, Mm -hmm. who is playing Tex Watson. I think his name is Charles Tex Watson in real life and in the movie, of course. Now, the only reason I mention him is because he plays an important role in my plot, so I need to mention the actor. He hasn't been in anything that I've seen, but from what I've read, he is a Disney actor. He's sort of like a teen heartthrob actor who is in a lot of those shows, like live-action Disney shows that I've never seen. And who's he playing? Tex Watson. Okay. Who is an important figure in the Manson family. Like I said, we'll get into it. But let's get into it right now. Yes. Starting with Matty D's plot. Pull collar, pull collar, pull collar. All right. So I think it's worth saying for once upon a time in Hollywood that I'm kind of... have no idea what I'm talking about. So essentially, I sat up last night. I uh, had a look at all the promotional material, which was nothing. Yes. And it's one short trailer, folks. Like, like yourself, I've been wrong about every single Tarantino movie, but I've never cared, right? Because I always enjoy the ride. But this time, I have to come up with something. I read a little bit about the Manson history, and then I threw it to the other side of the room. I'm like, Tarantino will not be accurate to history. You thought he'll go the same direction as World in, War II in, in Glorious Bastards? I do. You guarantee it. So, with that being said, 
There's a lot of things I'm going to say, and a lot of people will be probably yelling at this podcast and say, Maddie D, that's stupid. Maddie D, that is inaccurate. Maddie D, that can't happen, but I don't care. Knowing Tarantino, anything's it's possible. It's going to be stylized anyway. So Anything is possible. You can just possible. say it's for stylistic reasons. Exactly, exactly. It's based on a true story, So I started, a documentary. I started writing the movie that I thought I'd want to see, and then I shifted gears and thought, well, what would actually happen? And then I eh, had a little bit of fun with it, and this is the mess that we have in front well, of us. I think that's the best way to go. So, here we go. One once upon a time in Hollywood, a Maddie D report card. <laughs> so, opening. Report card. So, we have. I give him an F. <laughs> what about for uh, attending? For a- Okay, A for effort. A for effort. All right. So, what we get at the start is we get a beautiful montage of some young men creating music, congratulating each other over the years, playing it back going through the motions, the montage ends with a bearded man listening to the music. It is the Beach Boys. Um, you don't get to see... The round, round, get around, get around. <laughs> you don't get to see the, the man that well or where he is, but over time, the um, the music gets overtaken with sirens, screaming, and police radio in the background. It gets louder and louder and louder and boom. This is the start of the movie. Narrator opens it up. Now, I was thinking, who would narrate it? I thought... Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson is who I thought. But then I was like... This motherfucker is Charles Manson. Nah, Samuel L. Jackson already... He killed a bitch. Samuel L. Jackson already narrated the... Yeah, and I want to see him do it again. (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't think he's going to do it again. He did in Glorious Bastards, folks. I thought Quentin Tarantino might narrate it. But then I thought he's already done it too. It's Charles Manson. And he has not poisoned the cafe. But then I'm like, I saw Kurt Russell here, and I really have a good feeling about Kurt Russell narrating so I'm going to say it's Kurt Russell my Kurt Russell impression's a bit shaky <laughs> this man oh no it's just Samuel Jackson again someone's poisoned the coffee he'll just say that over and over again that's my favourite line in this uh, man's hey Charles Floyd. Manson <laughs> and he that's just John Wayne oh, <laughs> John Wayne will narrate it so what we get is we get the narrator he opens Charles up Manson. he opens up in introducing the wonderful world of Hollywood we get to see visuals of young actors and actresses walking out people filming sets the narration will talk about that there's a change in the air that the film industry is moving in a different way people come to Hollywood to live their dreams to see pictures on the grand stage blah 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 all that sort of stuff Superman's about to come out so and this is where we're introduced to our lead Rick Dalton doing an intense western scene he's very in the moment it's very beautiful it's overwhelmed with emotion and then we hear cut from the director he steps out he gets replaced by Cliff Booth (laughs) oh no (laughs) he gets replaced by Cliff Booth (laughs) well done (laughs) Thank you. Um, and there's a massive fight scene that happens. It's all very exciting. And then the director... Well, Someone's going to fall off a banister, I guarantee it. Yeah. And then... Yeah, that'd be so cool. And then the director yells, that's a wrap. And we get the title. And we get the title introducing the characters. So we get a little shot. Rick Dalton under yes. Leonardo DiCaprio. He goes, thanks, Cliff. Boom. Rick Dalton. Then Brad Pitt's character. So Cliff. freeze frame, text comes up. Yeah. Like the good, the bad, and the ugly, Exactly, basically. exactly like that. And then Cliff was like, no problem. Boom. Cliff Booth. That's how we're going to get introduced to our characters. Now, how the story is going to follow is it's going to be three separate lives in the industry. Yes. For most of the time, it'll be these characters doing fun Hollywood things, interacting with other celebrities, having deep fiction-like talks, uh, much like pop fiction, doing nothing seemingly important and a lot of reminiscing about the glory days of Hollywood or what brought them to the dance or what have you. Everything about this movie industry and this world will be romanticized because it's Quentin Tarantino, right? Yeah, of course. So here are the three stories. A lot of music. It's either going to be sixties period music or music from spaghetti westerns. A lot yep. of Ennio Morricone or what's that guy, Louise 
I can't think of his name. The guy who did the original Django soundtrack. Yeah, it's it'll be, be that very so spaghetti western like music, sixties music, or like very seventies esque Italian almost, yeah. exploitation movie music definitely, as well. Definitely like that. that That's a blanket of... statement, folks. That covers both Matty D and my plots. Thank you. I agree with it as well. That's very much what's going to be in this movie. The three stories, I should say, because I say characters, but I guess it'll follow two of these characters. I introduced one of the so one sort of, the of stories. like Pulp Fiction, how they've got mm. you know Vincent yeah. Jules, Butch, and then very similar. Yes. So the three stories that we're following is we're following Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. Just They're, say Rick and Cliff. Mm? Just for the sake of yourself. Rick please. and Cliff, an old Western hero that's about to ride off into the sunset, and he's no nonsense sidekick who has a habit of getting himself into trouble. Stuntman. Yeah, he's stuntman. He's long life stuntman. We have Squeaky, played Squeaky. by Dakota, Dakota Fanning. Yeah. An ambitious star that's falling through the cracks. And we have Sharon Tate, who is sort of at the peak of her career, an emerging star, or pretty much established at this stage. Yes. The movie will be sometimes told in other viewpoints, like uh, in the point of view of other characters like Marvin, but for the most part, the main stories will be these three stories. So these four characters I've just mentioned. So you mean Marvin as in Al Pacino's yeah, the, Marvin d- Schwartz? The, the producer, yeah. yes. okay. Um, you'll see him do things and interact with characters outside of that. So, And the format will go in and out of these three stories, but for the purpose of my prediction, I'm just going to divide them up into yeah. what they're going to be. So first we have Rick's story. So Marvin attempts to rejuvenate his career since he's an old Western television actor, but he's not. Yes. He's trying to transition to the big screen and he's kind of not relevant anymore. His client, Rick Dalton, is stuck in his ways and seems like a relic of the past. Rick also refuses to have any other stuntman than the one he's had for years. And together, the two do new age cinema for the sheer thrill of it and the love for movie cinema. Hmm. Everything seems to be going well until they go and they meet all these different actors, different characters that we all get to see. We all get to pop with Bruce Lee and all these funny things. It doesn't go well when they're trying to do these new projects because they fight with actors and directors. People in the industry continue telling Marvin that they respect Rick and they love the legend, but are apprehensive about using him. The movie's heart is the relationship between... Because he's had his time, right? Yeah, exactly. He's kind of like... He's washed up. Yeah. In the eyes of Hollywood. I think they're going to really play into this old Western hero. Like John Travolta, pre-pop fiction. Yes, exactly. So the heart of the movie is going to be Cliff and Rick, whether they share a beer and laugh or whether they remiss about old times, but there's a very genuine friendship between them. As I said before, Rick refuses to have any other stuntman. Someone might propose, hey, you want this younger guy? He can do your stunts. He'll be like, nope, only Cliff does my stunts. I trust him. I trust him with my life. I trust him with my career. They help each other out a lot. So the whole thing comes to a head when Cliff instigates a fight on set. Maybe he gets angry with her Bruce Lee maybe yeah. maybe like in the trailer yep, maybe yep. maybe not maybe it is a director or another actor I see Cliff as a very hot-headed person a yes. very hot-headed character so it's very easy to see him instigate the fight or stand up for himself and push it too far Rick is Cliff's best friend so he joins in the two are seemingly blacklisted from Hollywood Marvin in a desperate attempt pulls some strings and gets the two to work on set with Sharon Tate Sharon is not pleased about this and sees Rick as an old-school actor that comes bring anything new to her career or the movies that she wants to like in the artist establish with like Pepe, in the artist like exactly. with Peppy Miller and whatever that guy's name was completely Jean Dujardin's character so second story we have the Sharon Tate story. Yes. My apologies, guys. I'm not following autobiographies here. This is not going to be accurate at all. He didn't cheat for once. <laughs> I did, but I'm... I oh, he cheated in a different way, apparently. <laughs> so Sharon's story will tell her story, her beginnings as a child actor, her seemingly rise from the bottom to the top, her fame, her attention, all the parties she gets to go to, all the wow, glitz and glam of Hollywood, her and her friend, what was his name, Jay? Yeah. He's going to play a big part in her life, but and seemingly it seems like he's more of a 
big deal in your plot than mine. Yeah, well, just in there. a different way, I suppose. It's kind of there. So although Sharon will be at the top, she will use her position to not take any... Guff? Guff from anybody. She takes the opportunity to help other performers around her. She'll force her way and people can't say no to her because she's Sharon Tate. Sharon is trying to work on a new artistic movie that proves to be very bold. However, it seems to not strike a chord with modern audiences. Her agent suggests that she do a big budget movie to bolster her name, to get her name out there more so, since um, some of her movie choices shy away from the regular cinema goer. And Sharon is reluctant to do so. This leads her to do a film with Rick Dalton, former Western star. So that's this brings them two together. So yes. they're having these separate career roads and this, this is where they're intertwined. In between those two stories, we'll get the story of Squeaky, who is a aspiring young actress who's part of a musical troupe. They're okay, but nothing special. She expresses that she wants more and decides to leave against the better judgment of her other cast members. She goes through all the audition route. She finds herself as failure after failure. She goes to parties in the Hollywood scene and is introduced to drugs. She spirals a little, experiences like poverty and hard times. So her story will be like the other side of the Sharon Tate yeah. life, I guess. Doesn't make it in Hollywood, becomes homeless is exactly. what you're saying. Well, yeah, homeless, the drug stuff. Yeah, the, the spiraling out of control. I think they'll play a lot of stylized stuff with that. And a friend tells her about a party. She goes there and she meets this charismatic young man who tells her she's special. What seems to be initially like a potential love plot shifts gears. The young man tells her that of his similar experience and starts planting seeds in her head that there may be more than the glitz and glam of Hollywood. And there's also a seedy underbelly in the world in general. After a while, she start, he starts introducing the ideas of a race wars to Squeaky. Uh, the man becomes revealed mm, as Charles Manson. Like quite a character. Well, there mm. we go. <laughs> yes. So this is when they will convince a ranch hand that is not Burt Reynolds, because guess what? He was supposed to be this character. Yes. It's a shame that he is not, but I'm sure... Well, I think he's the owner of the ranch. Mm, yes, he's the owner of the ranch. This George, is where... This is George Spahn, by the way. That's correct. This is where the Manson family will hold up, and we get to see it through Squeaky's eyes. The rest of the family are in awe of Manson, seemingly in love or spellbound by him. He starts convincing them to do petty crimes. I didn't mention that the ranch hand is letting him stay there for favours. Sexual favours. <laughs> Sexual favours, so they'll play into that a little bit. But we'll get to see it through Squeaky's eyes, what this all is going on, and when she sort of uncovers what's actually happening but she's also being manipulated why is she called well. squeaky Maddie D I think it's her voice okay I actually know why but I'm just testing you oh okay that's an assumption I don't actually know okay I do know but yeah, <laughs> I'll go into it so she becomes concerned about this and uncovers uh, what Manson's planning to do he's planning to murder people whether he was or not in real life I don't know but that's what I'm going to say she confronts him Manson uses an intimidation um, so Manson has an intimidation scene with food with her because of course it's a Tarantino yeah, movie you've got to have it some tasty treat where the bad guy gets to flesh out and be the big bad <laughs> Puts food on her feet. <laughs> Two fetishes exactly. in one. Exactly. I bet it'll be Margot Robbie that does the feet scene. Yeah, of course. She's going to be barefoot at one point. And he says he needs Squeaky beside him. Anyway, back to the lighthearted stuff. The movie itself that they're producing, that's Rick and Sharon, is I thought it was going to be like a Dukes of Hazard movie. That's what I thought. Because I guess that makes sense for Burt Reynolds and that sort of style. But now I'm thinking it's Tarantino. What would Tarantino do? Uh, I think he's going to do a Western. I think he's going to do a huge, big Western because that's his favorite sort of movies. Tarantino won't be able to help himself. It'll all be a lot of fun. We'll all enjoy it. Uh, Sharon and Rick will fight a little at the start, but eventually come together to create something really cool. Over the course, Sharon and Cliff, I know Sharon is married to yes. a famous director. Roman Polanski. Exactly. i say something controversial. I think Cliff and Sharon are going to have... 
An affair? Yes. Wow. Mm. Okay. So was she pregnant before or after the affair? They're going to find out she's pregnant after. Oh. Mm. Plot twist, So, folks. So it's going to be them coming together, but like, there's going to be drama about Meanwhile, that. Meanwhile, Paul Roman Polanski's like, I haven't seen my wife for <laughs> several months, yet she's pregnant. <laughs> exactly. Kitty cat. So it's a secret romance. It's a classic bad boy and stubborn girl and a, and a thing that they were never supposed to do. I don't know if they'll go too much into it or it will be just sort of like a, a almost flirtation-like thing that they think it's a bad idea, but they might go for it. So in this movie, everyone has their awesome moment all the actors say it's the proudest thing they ever did Rick confides in Cliff that this will be his last movie Sharon is actually surprisingly satisfied she goes home for the day like a prostitute or something in this movie or like a Calamity Jane style character I think she'll be the headline act for this movie the western yeah why not okay (laughs) she's Um, gonna be the woman at the bar singing the songs or maybe she'll be (laughs) maybe she'll be realise that they didn't really make westerns in Hollywood at this point Matty D you're poking holes in my plot well, we can because we're re-envisioning everything here. Okay. Cliff reveals to Rick his feelings for Sharon. He was intending to leave with Rick. Rick wants to go to Italy and retire because Rick's done with movies after this movie. He's like, I'm satisfied. I can ride off into the sunset. I don't need to make any more movies. But Cliff tells him that he thinks he's going to stay and see if he can win over Sharon Tate. Oh my God, that's so bad. So Cliff goes back to see Sharon to talk to her. Barry's feelings. Why not? This is when the Manson family attacks their house because this is where the big murder happens. That's what happens, right? They go... Yeah, break and enter. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> okay, here we go. They fight back. That's right. Sharon Tate and Cliff, because Cliff is here at the time, decide to fight back against the Manson family. Squeaky's involved here. Rick is there because he dropped Cliff off. Why not? And and he sees the he, big... He came in for a quick drink before he, he went home. He sees the big commotion. Before he went to Italy. He runs. There's a massive fight scene. There's a lot of explosions. Our actors good fighters? Sure, in this movie, why not? So they're all going to fight the Manson family. They're going to take one of the surviving Manson family members. They're going to be who orchestrated this, blah, blah, blah. They'll reveal it's Charles Manson. And our leads go to fight <laughs> a final fight to the demonic cult leader, Charles Manson. <laughs> who wasn't there at the time, but sure. <laughs> no, he wasn't there, but they're going to go find him. Okay. Uh, so they take the fight to him. They're taking the fight to okay. him. Exactly. And this is where I was th- I was thinking, do they fight on set? That'd be cool. But you know what? I'm going to say they, it makes sense for them to go to the ranch. That makes sense. Okay. Right. Brings the, the ranch hand. He's extra minutes of um, screen time. George big, big fight spine. scene. Rick's going to get injured. He's going to get shot. He's going to seemingly die. Okay. We're going to have a Mexican standoff between Cliff, Sharon Tate, and Charles Manson. Boom, 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 boom. Gunfight happens. Sharon Tate kills Charles Manson. Hmm. Most of the cast are dead. That would be a twist. Sharon Tate and Cliff get in his cool 70s car, ride off into the sunset. Do they talk? No, they don't need to. They're just going to... The music starts up. Because after all, Roman Polanski... It's going to be that he original died, right? 1968 version of... Set me free, yep. why don't they're gonna you, drive. Babe? They're going to drive over the horizon, all bloodied. Don't know what they're going to do with their lives. Do they end up together? That's something the audience will have to know. Poor Roman Polanski. <laughs> he's still out there. Well, he, well, has he his dies. Own, he has his own trouble. He dies in my plot. Why not? What, Roman Polanski? <laughs> sure. He wasn't even in the country. Oh, okay. That doesn't work then. <laughs> 
Well, maybe she's running away from Roman Polanski. He died Polanski. of a heart, I don't know, I don't he had know, a heart attack. I don't know why Roman Polanski's a bad guy in my play. He's not a bad guy, but just for the interest of the drama, I guess, we'll play with this idea. Maybe they decide just to be friends, her and Cliff, but they'll just drive off into the sunset. And cue, cool music, credits scene. Cue credits. Okay, there we go. What'd you think? <laughs> what did I think? <laughs> I think that was a hot mess, buddy D. But in saying that, though, you and I actually share a surprising amount of similarities. Oh, my God, Kieran. In our I, plots. I went in this and I was like, there's going to be nothing he's going to have in this plot. Well, almost proud of it. You will be very surprised to learn where we do have crossover and we have a lot more crossover than you'd think. And I want to get into it straight away because I've got a very long plot and I don't want to keep the listeners for any longer than I need to. I make it sound like they're in the room and they need to go. <laughs> but anyway, quite like you, of course, we know that the film set in 1969 in Hollywood, Los Angeles, California. And I'm seeing the overall style being very similar to Inglorious Bastards where it is characters in the same place at the same time. They have some levels of intersecting stories, but for the most part, they have their own self-contained stories. We jump back and forth between them, and they'll and these will be spread out throughout chapters throughout the movie. Cool. So let's say that there's five chapters. I'm not going to be able to explicitly detail what happens in each chapter or when we jump back and forth, but I'm going to try my best to do that. That's the hard thing about this but movie. But yeah, just hey. keep in mind it's going to jump back and forth. We might jump back in time in some circumstances, but Ooh. I'm not going to detail any of that because I will never, ever be able to predict it. But of course, Inglorious Bastards was inspired by Once Upon a Time in the West, which I think Tarantino has said is one of his favourite movies of all time. Of course, he's a big fan of Sergio Leone, the director. So I am seeing a lot of similarities between, or at least I can draw a lot of comparisons between what I think is going to happen in this movie and that movie because that also involves you know separate characters coming together crossing over through multiple storylines and in fact there's a scene as well where a family gets murdered by a gang of outlaws which I can see happening in a very reminiscent scene in this movie seems very rational so far yes so I think it's going to be done in spaghetti western style as is Tarantino's tradition at this point now, I think the movie is actually going to open very similarly to the trailer. If you've seen the trailer at all, folks, it's going to be black and white like we're watching it on TV at the period or on a newsreel. Let's just say like on TV. So we've got a little tiny box in the middle of the screen, black and white. And we've got TV presenter Alan Kincaid, longtime bounty law actor. That was the name of his Western TV series, Rick Dalton. Mm-hmm. And his stuntman, Cliff Booth. So they're sitting side by side on the set of the old Western, which he hasn't done for a number of years because it got the axe. And he's been trying to break into Hollywood. But Bounty Law is a long-time beloved program. And of course... Want to see the inner workings. Yeah, they want to see the inner workings. So... In this scene where Cliff and Rick explain how stuntmen works and their history together, we as an audience see their backstory and we have the industry and their past explained to us simultaneously. There's a good little vehicle there. And then, quite like your one, we're introduced to the world, the setting, the late 60s through a montage, exactly like you said. I'm seeing exactly the same thing as you described, essentially shots of movies being made, people lining up at premieres, shots of old old school Hollywood, which doesn't exist anymore, which is lovingly recreated, all set to a popular 60s song from the time. I would never be able to guess what he's going to use, but I'm sure it's going to be great. I'm also seeing a lot of 60s dance clubs, just shots of people smoking inside a bar, which you can't do anymore. <laughs> Go-Go girls are writhing up on the stage, sort of like Austin Powers, but you know, really establishing the stereotypes and the nostalgia in a stylistic way. A little bit toned down, I imagine, than Austin Powers was. Yeah, well, you never know. 
I think it'll be all done in a very lighthearted, fun way, at least initially. Now, next, I feel like we'll be introduced to the Manson family. Now, I feel like they're going to arrive dramatically at George Spahn's ranch at this point. Now, okay. I'm imagining it in my head perfectly. So he's sitting out on the porch. He's blind as a bat with his glasses on, sitting in a rocking chair. The ranch used to be a place where they used to film a lot of westerns in the 50s. But I did then read that. The demand for the westerns has dried up, so he pretty much just uses it for pony rides. So he's getting poorer every day. He's destitute. He's staring off miserably into the distance. Well, he's not really staring. He's blind. But then way off in the distance, he hears the sound of a truck rolling up. The truck rolls up. It's the Manson family. They get out in slow motion dramatically as though they're members of an old West gang. So we've got the dramatic Ennio Morricone music. What? Like Once Upon a Time in the West? Yes, exactly like that. Like that scene? Like they're stepping out from behind the bushes. Are they wearing uh, trench coats? No, they're not wearing duster coats. But anyway, so here we're introduced to Charles Manson, Tex Watson, Patricia Krenwinkel, Susan Atkins, Catherine Scher, and Squeaky From, played by Dakota Fanning, of course, as you mentioned in yours. Now, I believe that the Manson family, the major players are going to be Tex Watson, maybe Patricia and Susan, but they all have nicknames, which are eventually given to them by George, the blind ranch man. Ranch hand, as you called him, even though he owns it. Is that why? So Tex will be called Tex because of his Texan accent. Mm-hmm. And the other characters will eventually, because they won't reveal their real names. Maybe Charles Manson will reveal his real name to George. You know, he'll come up with his own interpretations of them just through their voice or how they behave or what they talk about. Uh, this is a real life detail, by the way. Cool. Initially, George is apprehensive of the family. He's going, what are you guys doing here? And Charles will say, well, we're going to live here, of course. It looks like a great place to live. We can ride around on ponies in the <laughs> afternoon and live off the land like true Americans. And he's apprehensive to have his homestead taken over. But then, and of course, Charles Manson is going to win him over by convincing. Well, he doesn't really have to convince them. But he's going to have a massive speech about America and freedom and his thoughts and feelings on the world. And I then expect there'd be a lot of this as well. Demand the girls have sex with George or at least you know blow him in his rocking chair (laughs) and so the reason that Squeaky has her name Squeaky is because when the girls sort of settle into pleasure George which we won't see in the movie of course it will all be implied he you know he goes oh this is quite interesting I haven't had attention from young women in many years and so he sort of runs his hand seductively up the back of Squeaky's thigh Mm -hmm. which leads her to squeak out like a a shrill oh my word a shrill squeal and then he goes oh you're a squeaky one aren't you that's Um, so gross and that's where he gets the name from but yeah Squeaky isn't going to play much of a part beyond this in the movie oh really so she's just going to be around with the Mansons, but she isn't going to have a pivotal coming to Hollywood storyline like in yours. Though I really like that detail about your plot, though. Do you think that they'll play into it because it's uh, Dakota Fanning and she's everyone knew her from such a young age that it'll be very shocking to see her do these her sort of sexualized things? in that way? Mm. Yeah, I, I think so. But Tarantino, maybe it's a deliberate casting choice. I thought about this a lot today, but Tarantino has always deliberately shied away from sexuality in his movies, so he never really has a lot of nudity. He never really has sexualized nudity in the movies. Never has sex scenes. Never really has a lot of romance unless the movie's about a romance. So I think it's going to follow suit here. We're not going to see the sex scenes. We're not going to see nudity. Not going to see anything obscene in that regard. There's going to be a lot of obscenity, but nothing in that regard, right? Mm -hmm. Because of all the attention, George is more than happy to let them take over his ranch at this point. We've established the Manson family and what Charles is about, essentially, in this scene. 
as you mentioned briefly a few moments ago, I think most of this movie will be dialogue scenes, as we've seen with Tarantino movies in the past. Mm-hmm. Most of the runtime is... Talking about burgers. Yeah, it is scenes of long conversations, but these are typically compelling conversations. That's one of the things I like about the movie. So we don't really need to run out the movie's runtime with you know a lot of action or a lot of going here and there. I think there will be lots of conversations and a lot of explanations throughout the film. I love the concept of Samuel L. Jackson doing the voiceover narration again introducing people and introducing places and concepts at the time I'd really love to see that I don't think they'll do it he's not credited at all but Mm, it's a Tarantino movie so it might be surprising in that way but I should move on to my next point this is where we're introduced to Sharon Tate who like in your plot as you mentioned is a rising starlet at the time they'll go into the fact that she's married to Roman Polanski who is being played by Rafael Zarucha Zarucha I'm sorry Rafael if you're listening he's a big fan Polanski is currently working on a film in Europe at the time and is away from LA, so we won't really see him in the LA setting. Maybe we'll have a few shots of him talking to Sharon on the phone, but I think that is the limit to his involvement in the movie. Okay. I also like to imagine, I don't know why, but because of Roman Polanski's future history with, you know, sexual abuse towards children, I imagine that while he's talking on the phone in a fancy hotel in Europe, he's talking to her, looking out the window, maybe at like a young girl sitting by the poolside. Oh my I God. I think they'll just have like a subtle little reference like that, just to show how icky Roman Polanski is in the future. Well, there you go. He deserves the affair then in my plot. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Or they might introduce him in montage. So if they show, can you imagine Samuel Jackson goes, this is Sharon Tate. And then it'll show like a montage of her life up until that point. You know, she did this, this and this. She married Roman Polanski, shot yeah. at them at the wedding. Could totally see them doing that as well. But anyway. So sidebar, this is the first movie Tarantino is doing away from Weinstein. So there might be a That's little right. bit of a knock yes. there. To, yeah, to I thought about that as well. So he might be having a go at good old Harvey there when mm. Polanski is being a lech looking at a young girl by a pool. This is just my presumption. Anyway, in the movie at this point, Sharon Tate is working on the set of the movie The Wrecking Crew, which is a spy comedy movie starring Dean Martin from the time. Cool. Hope we see Dean. And I think Dean Martin will be played by Michael Madston of all people. That's just my prediction. Now, Cliff is also working on this movie. Rick isn't working on it, but Cliff is working on this film independently of Rick as Dean Martin's stunt double. Okay. So he and Sharon Tate sort of have like a casual relationship with each other. Not a romantic one like yours. I don't think they'll go in that direction, but they know each other in a sort of professional manner. Okay. They'll say hi to each other at the craft services table. Maybe nothing beyond that. (laughs) But doing the... Professional respect. Yes. Now doing the stunt choreography for this movie is Bruce Lee. So he is isn't appearing in the movie, he is teaching Sharon Tate how to do her own stunts, which she did in the movie. And of course, Cliff is doubling for Dean Martin. So he is there saying, all right, you have to do it this way. You have to do it this way. You've got to come in and do the kick this way. And I see that Cliff and Bruce Lee are going to butt heads. So, oh my God, I look forward to it. Yes. Yeah, so Cliff is going to say something that Bruce Lee disagrees with or... Just disagree with Bruce Lee? Yeah. Bruce Lee is going to be cocky and Cliff wants to bring him down to size. So they're going to have a fight scene. Now, of course, Bruce Lee is going to break out some impressive martial arts but Cliff is going to fight dirty and eventually be the winner Indiana Jones him yes (laughs) goodbye Bruce Lee or maybe they'll make it out like Bruce Lee isn't really that tough and it's all like Hollywood fakery but I don't think they'll do that I can more likely see it like he'll kick Bruce Lee in the nuts or something like that and end up winning the fight and then of course I can see the scene ending with Cliff taking a verbal jab at Bruce Lee's heritage or his karate so you're saying that's how we do it in America Mm, interesting now also on the same movie set we'll meet Jay Sebring who is most likely working as a hairstylist because that was his job now he'd previously had a relationship 
relationship with Sharon Tate. I think That's right, they, they did. They briefly dated at some point, but it didn't really work out. Or she wasn't really reciprocating his feelings. So I think quite possibly Cliff, but at least the male actors on set will all presume that Jay is gay. So they're going to call him Gay Jay or something <laughs> uninventive like that. But he is obviously desperately in love with Sharon Tate. He's been her best friend for years, but he is strictly in the friend zone. So he really wants to be with her. He'd do anything. He'd literally die for her, as we'll find out later on in the movie. But he is like a little lost puppy who follows her around, loves spending time with her. In the long run, we're going to feel sorry for him. Very relatable. Yeah, I'm sure it is for humanity. <laughs> now, in their conversations together, Sharon Tate is also going to find out that she's pregnant with Roman Polanski's baby at this oh, point no. as well. I wasn't sure when in the movie this will happen, but you also touched on this as well. But I think Cliff and Rick will meet in a bar. Cliff's agent, played by Al Pacino, Marvin, Marvin, hasn't been getting him too many roles, Rick that is. He's just been getting small parts on major motion films. He's never a lead role. Do you think he'll be a friend to Rick or do you think he'll be like the police chief? Or to either. Oh, you mean Marvin? Yeah. Yeah, I think he'll be shouty and angry. Like Rick will be frustrated with him that he's not getting the roles that he deserves. And Al Pacino is going to have one of his screaming scenes where he's going, well, maybe if you were a better actor. (laughs) Something like that. But anyway, I I don't think Al Pacino is going to play a huge role. He didn't really play a huge role in your script. I think he's going to have one or two scenes where he's yelling at Rick across the table. That'll probably be the extent of it. But anyway, he's going to be in my shootout. What are you talking about? Oh, okay. (laughs) He's going to go, say hello to my little friend. (laughs) Anyway. Cliff and Rick meet in a bar, they get drunk, and Rick laments that he really should have been a bigger actor by this point than he is, and he has this idea to go over to Italy, quite like in your plot, but he's doing it to become the next Clint Eastwood. He goes, if only I could go over to Italy where they're making all these huge spaghetti westerns. I'd be a star. Yeah, if Clint Eastwood could do it, I could do it easily, no worries, and that's what I should do. We'll now rejoin the Manson family, who have been introduced to a record producer Terry Melcher who I believe is going to be played by James Marsden of Cyclops fame of Westworld fame of Red Dead Redemption fame no that's John Marsden you're thinking of Terry Melcher is initially excited to be working with the Mansons the Manson family because he thinks they've got a lot of potential to produce some great music some great Mm -hmm. hippie music that's really what he's into he's recorded the Beach Boys so he sees them as another big potential this is the way of the future and he finds their lifestyle compelling he says oh it would make a great documentary because Manson wrote with the Beach Boys. Yeah, right? he did. He collaborated with them in a way. In turn, Manson is also excited to be working with Melcher because his master plan, Helter Skelter, will involve inciting a race war throughout America through putting hidden messages in their songs. So he sees that if Melcher can put my music out there, my message will be going out there. If he makes a documentary about us, I can tell the world about our lifestyle and why it would be great to come and follow me in my flock. So I think in real life, Charles Manson's idea was to, through his views inside a race war, which would involve all other races being wiped out, and then he takes takes over everybody else, resetting the status quo as himself, as like the Jesus figure, as the overall saviour. I think it's at this point where Terry Melcher will hear the Manson family sing and immediately go, oh, they're terrible. And it will be a funny moment. This will all be played for laughs. So basically everything we're seeing at this point will all be pretty much played for humour for laughs. The audience is loving it. They're all enjoying it. They're laughing. Now, simultaneously, Rick and Cliff will land a role as minor characters in a low-budget Western movie 
Quite like in your plot. Ah, oh, so I thought they didn't do Western movies. <laughs> well, they guys. typically don't, but they're referencing a spaghetti Western, let's say. They're okay. referencing a spaghetti Western in another movie, and they thought it would be cute to have this old actor from this series come and play a similar role. Uh, maybe it's a guy who's like Tarantino, who's really into making like throwback movies, <laughs> you know, rebooting people's careers. But anyway, this movie is being shot on the Spahn Ranch. On George's ranch. So Rick and Cliff will have a run in with the Manson family on this ranch while filming the movie. So, of course, the film crew will arrive on the dilapidated ranch to film the movie. They'll see the Manson family and think, oh, they're kind of weird. Who are these guys? And I think that Cliff will say something to Charles Manson. Charles Manson will probably come up spouting some babble to them. Mm -hmm. Cliff will tell him to fuck off, probably appropriately so. And then this will cause Tex who is essentially Charles Manson's right-hand man, to step in and get into a fight with Cliff. Ooh. And I think Tex will get the better of Cliff in this one. Okay. Is he an old guy? Has he been humbled? Yeah, so Tex is a young guy. He's got the spark of youth in him, while Cliff is just an old, tough guy. But yeah, Tex is essentially a psychopath. But yeah, he badly beats Cliff, but doesn't kill him this time. Dun, 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 dun. Dun. So this fight between Cliff and Tex will also put off Melcher, will basically scare him away from the Manson family. So he'll witness this fight between them. Maybe he's there coming out of the house having listened to one of their records or listened to them sing. It's basically happened simultaneously with the previous scene I described. But anyway, he'll see this fight between Tex and Cliff. He'll go, these guys are psychos. Mm-hmm. Shoot off out of there. Now, at some point in the movie, I don't know if it will happen as a result of this conflict, but Rick will bite the bullet and move to Italy where he will be cast as the lead in a cheesy spaghetti western movie. Now, he'll believe that he doesn't need Cliff. Maybe Cliff is so badly injured he can't make the trip, but he goes, I can make it without Cliff. I'm the talent after all. I'm the face. How hard could it be? And since Rick doesn't speak Italian, he has a hard time trying to be directed by this Italian director who will be loosely based on Sergio Leone. A lot of laughs I'm seeing. Yes, so they're all speaking Italian and the only Italian that Rick knows is Bongiorno. God damn it. What? A throwback. Yes, I could totally see that happening. He'll basically know three Italian words and they don't help him out at all. But Rick is soon shocked to discover that he has to do his own stunts in the movie. And over and over again, he's put into situations where he has to basically risk his life. Quite like the actor who played Tuco in The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, where he's (laughs) continually almost killed in every scene of that movie. But I think that Rick will be badly injured on the set of this as well. Maybe he'll break a leg, an arm, but it will be, again, played for humour. It'll be shocking. Overall, it will be for shocked laughter. Now, after being snubbed by Melcher, Charles Manchin will initiate his Helter Skelter plot and will send Tex and three of the girls over to what he thinks is Melcher's mansion, but it is, in fact, Sharon, Sharon Tate. Tate and Roman Polanski's mansion. Again, this is what happened in real life. Yeah, I actually read this as well. Mm, they'll probably have a scene where he meets them there, or at least outside the house. But anyway, so from what I understand, in real life, Melcher did live there at one point. Maybe someone gave Manson old information, an old address where Melcher used to live. Now, at the house itself, Sharon is in the middle of a quiet party. Maybe the film has wrapped shooting. And so she, Jay, and two other notable Hollywood types, I think one of the heiresses to the Folgers coffee fortune was there. But yeah, there's uh, a scriptwriter whose name I would never be able to pronounce. But the four of them are there listening to music, sharing a quiet drink. And Jay is finally saying, look, 
I really love you. I want to be with you forever. I've tried so hard over so many years to be able to express this to you. But he's going to be interrupted by Tex and the three girls bursting into the house. The music is going to swell. It's going to go into slow motion. And we're going to see the full murder. Unlike your plot, we're going to see the full murder in graphic detail. Sharon Tate's going to try and save herself by exclaiming she's pregnant. But that just makes it worse for him. And of course, Tex is going to have his famous real life line. I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work. That's going to be the line that kicks off the whole massacre, essentially. There's going to be a popular song, as I said, in the background that's coming from the stereo initially, but it will eventually become loud enough and take over the soundtrack. It's probably going to ruin whatever sentiment is behind that song forever and ever. This is going to be your shock moment? Yes, exactly. And it's going to be so shocking and so violent. It's going to be the one bit in the movie that traumatizes everyone forever. And I think it goes without saying, but I think Sharon and Jay will receive the most shocking and brutal of the deaths. So it will just seemingly go on and on forever without... Mercy. Again, I don't know at what point in the movie this will happen, but Rick will return to the US after wrapping his Spaghetti Western in Italy. Was it a success? And he'll be all excited about becoming the next Spaghetti Western, but when he goes to see it, he's been dubbed over by another actor. No! So all of his lines have been looped over, as they always do with Spaghetti Westerns, but he wasn't asked to come and do his lines, maybe because the director didn't like him, because he didn't speak Italian, he rubbed the director the wrong way. Overall, the movie is critically panned. Samuel L. Jackson dubs his voice. Yeah, that would be great. (laughs) Or Kurt Russell dubs his voice. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Could totally see that happening. Quentin Tarantino. It's Kurt Russell as John Wayne, essentially doing the voice over the top. I could totally see that now. Anyway, this is where my movie turns into Matty D's movie. No. The movie will end. This is literally what I have written. The movie will end with an inglorious bastard style history twist where we think it's going to go a certain way, but it doesn't because we're changing history, but not in the same way as yours where Sharon Tate survives. Of course, she's been brutally murdered at this point. But because Cliff had this relationship with Sharon Tate, not a romantic one like in your plot, but this casual one, and she was friends with so many Hollywood elite types that Cliff and Rick are going to team up with a whole bunch of other big name celebrities. Oh my God. It's going to be crazy. You wouldn't expect it. And they're going to go arm up, drive out to the Spahn Ranch. Bury the hatchet with Bruce Lee. Yes. And they're going to have a huge shootout with the Manson family. They're going to raid the Spahn Ranch in a hail of bullets. This the whole band, the whole ranch is going to burn down by the end. But of course, all the Manson family are going to be brutally killed off by these celebrities. You'll probably see like Dean Martin like poking someone's eyes out. Wouldn't it be great? Or like smashing someone in the head with Honestly, a Honestly, Al Pacino with, with two guns. Yeah, I don't think Al Pacino will be there. Boo. Why would you waste Al Pacino in this moment? Now, if I were to predict that any of the heroes, any of our main characters were to be killed off, quite like you, I imagine Rick would be shot, mm-hmm. but he would die. I think I said Rick dies in mine yeah, as well. Yeah, but I actually don't think that will happen. Okay. Since you said it, I'm going to say it won't happen. Maybe he'll be injured, but won't die. All right. Ultimately, Manson will survive the shootout. He'll be hiding out throughout the entire thing. He'll end up being captured by the celebrities. The police will step in to intervene, break everybody up. Manson will go to jail. And the film will end with him being interviewed by Alan Kincaid, who we saw interviewing Rick and Cliff at the start of the film. But Alan Kincaid is in prison interviewing Charles Manson. Charles Manson is spouting his psychobabble. If you've ever seen the footage of his real-life interviews, it's going to be an exact replication of that, where he's ranting and raving with, as I said, Alan Kincaid interviewing him, mm-hmm. mirroring the start of the film. And mm. I suppose, ultimately... You're making a statement there? Yeah, it, it's signalling the death of classic Hollywood Ooh. at that point. Are you saying that rather than attention being given to these artists, it's given to... To actors, to filmmakers, to directors, it's given to 
Psychopaths. Psychopaths. Serial the, killers. The people seeking the fame rather than the people seeking the art because Manson was a little bit yes. like that. He likes the, the godlikeness of it all. Westerns aren't made anymore. Horror movies are made. We've got Halloween. We've got Friday the 13th. The whole industry turns in the direction of graphic violence and horror. I suppose paving the way to Tarantino in the end. Yeah. But anyway, that's my plot. Apologies well, for its length, but yes, Mr. I Kieran, had a lot of thoughts. I, I was surprised you went in that direction. I thought I was bold here thinking it would end up mm, in a shootout. Yeah, I thought I'd I was going like, to be so clever. I'm going I'm gonna I like that we had a shootout in exactly the same location well, with the same I, players. I was like, I was ready because I the reason I wanted to go first was because I honestly thought I was going to offend you with my plot analysis. I thought yeah. you were going to be like, oh, wait, Matty D, that won't That's happen. stupid. <laughs> yeah, but there you go. I'm just excited to see the movie now. I hope I'm can, dead wrong. Can I make another claim? Tarantino's cameo will be as a director. Yes. He'll be the director of the, like, the cheap American spaghetti mm. western on the Spawn Ranch. No, I, I think I called it be, the Spawn Ranch I before. Anyway, it's one of those two. Because he's not going to speak Italian. No, no, oh, he's mean, not Sergio Leone uh, guy. Well, actually, I could totally see him trying to do an Italian accent and doing Sergio Leone. No, I don't think he'll do that. Yeah, I think he'll be the director I can in see America. Him yelling, bossing people around. Yes. Mm. So both uh, very bold claims. Yes. Um, we think it's both going to go into a mass violent end, and we yes. think they're going to shoot go out against, at the ranch against history. I, I don't see George ending up well. Poor old blind George. Oh, <laughs> he'll definitely yeah. die. He's going to be killed in the crossfire. He'll definitely in a die. graphic way, probably even by the Manson family. I'll probably kill him right before the celebrities turn up with their guns. I love the celebrity army. Yes. Oh, that would be such a good scene. Can you imagine all these classic 60s Hollywood celebrities just like brutally murdering people? I can't picture it without it being slightly cartoonish. Yeah, I think that's the intention though. Anyway. It's in his style. Anyway, let's talk about what we're going to talk about next week. Well, you don't have a movie next week, right? No, we don't. Now, we have roughly 50 episodes planned for this show so far. So ideally, we'd love to keep it going forever and ever as long as there's an audience out there for it. But there aren't going to be 50 movies released in one year. So we can't start talking about just whatever random movies are coming out. We have to actually talk about movies that people care about. So we've decided to introduce a new concept. We're going to have a new run of episodes. So now once every month, we're going to release what we're going to call a special episode. And in that special episode, we're going to come up with a movie concept and the plot for that movie concept but it's a concept that we're going to draw basically out of thin air. So we're going to leave it entirely up to chance. We've written a list of movie... What are they called? Where's that list? So it got it in front of me. So essentially we picked six different categories. Yes, that's right. The categories are remake. So a movie that's already been established, but we're remaking it, making it a little bit that's different, right. I guess you yep. could say. What's an example of remake? The Fly is a remake, yeah. I guess. So how in the 80s they remade the 50s Fly and did a complete reimagining of it. Mm. Robocop uh, is a remake. Yes. For a recent example. Yes, they recently remade Robocop. We all know what a remake is. Cool. Since we see them every week, Pet Cemetery. Reboot is the next category, yes. and we all know what reboots so are. There's plenty of them around. In this around. circumstance, we'd most likely be rebooting a franchise, a pre-existing, mm-hmm. long-running franchise. An example of that is the Batman series, I guess, or yeah. anything else. That's been rebooted um, a number of times. We've got a sequel. We don't need to go into that. Just yeah. a follow-up from a previous movie. A prequel, something that happened before in yes. the world of a movie. We have a spin-off, so either... We take a character or a concept from a pre-existing movie or franchise and we spin them off into their own storyline. Yeah, what's an example of that? For example, in Star Wars, we had Solo and Rogue yeah, One. Exactly. That's so a good, that's they a good were example. spin-offs of Star gonna, Wars. Joni, they do it a lot. Joni in, Loves Chachi is what I was oh, thinking. Oh, that's like, a spin-off TV show. Mm-hmm. Joni Loves Chachi, yes. But another example is like the Penguins of Madagascar. They do it a lot with children's movies. They take minor characters. Minions, for example, mm-hmm. from Despicable Me. That was a spin-off of that. And the 
last category we have is adaption, which right. is taking uh, source material, which is quite hard. Can which be a isn't comic, a movie. Which isn't a movie. Yep. Yeah. Um, so a comic book, a novel, video game, video game, TV show, song, anime, whatever, and true uh, life story, creating it into a movie. That's right. We've written down roughly sixty films slash franchises that we're going to pick randomly by chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll let Matty D do the honors of rolling the so dice this round. The so reason first we gonna... have six is because there's a you know six, six sides on, on a die. die. Yeah. Um, we have six movies for each category, so we're going to roll the die yep. once to see what we're going to be working with, whether it's a remake, reboot, sequel, prequel, spin-off, or adaptation. And then we're going to roll the dice again to see what movie we've got, since yes. we've picked some random ones here. So I'm going to roll the dice here. Yep. Uh, this takes me back to my D and D days. Okay. Which is just what? like a week ago. I was going to say it was like yesterday. Got number five. Number five is spin-off. Crap. (laughs) All right, roll it again and we'll see what we're spinning off. Five again. We're doing a Lord of the Rings (laughs) spin-off. Oh, God. There we go, folks. Now, of course, Matty D and I are going to go away and come up with our own idea for a Lord of the Rings spin-off. Now, of course, if you have your own ideas of what's going to happen in the newest Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, please let us know either on our Facebook page, it's Potential Spoilers Podcast there on Facebook, Or at our email address, potentialspoilerspod at gmail.com. Also, let us know what you think of Endgame, if you've seen that. Yes, How close you think we are to that. Yeah, just spoil it for everyone by posting your entire thoughts of the movie on the page there. No, please don't do that. The show is potential spoilers, not actual spoilers. Also, if you have your own idea for a Lord of the Rings spin-off, please let us know. We'd be excited to hear that as well. But yes, thank you for joining us for another week. Yes. So join us next week for whatever we're going to be talking about. Probably the Silmarillion or something ridiculous like that. The <laughs> This is the one thing I didn't want to do. The Sackville Bagginses movie. <laughs> we're going to be talking all about that next week. Right. And we'll see you then. See you then. That's the way I sing. I sing, you know, just, you know, just however I feel. I don't want to take my time going to work. I got a motorcycle and a sleeping bag and 10 or 15 girls. What the hell I want to go off into and go to work for? Work for what? Money? I got all the money in the world. I'm the king, man. I run the underworld, guy. I decide who's does what and where they do it at. What am I going to run around and act like I'm some teeny bop or somewhere for somebody else's money? I make the money, man. I roll the nickels. The game is mine. I deal the cards.